0: Smokes! you're listening to citr radio fm 102 cable 88.5 vancouver british columbia canada and it's time right now for the nard the human serviette radio show and who do we have in the studio right now hello are you there i am here in vancouver bc canada who are you
1: My name is Michael Barkley, and I'm a music writer. I'm one of three people who wrote a book called Have Not Been the Same.
0: That it's been reissued. And what is Have Not Been the Same all about? I just played their death sentence from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with I Want a Woman from the Soviet Union. Does that song have anything to do with your book? And what's your book Have Not Been the Same about? (laughs) There are connections.
1: I think you'll have to tell me what those connections are, because I've never heard that song before in my life.
0: Well, that's Death Sentence from Vancouver, British Columbia, yes. Canada, and the connections are Ham, from the band Slow, of which your book is named, because yes. they have the song Have Not Been the Same, yes. once told me the story of the band Death Sentence and how they made a little bit of money being in an episode of 21 Jump Street. I if, have
1: heard this. If, yes, go on.
0: If you get on YouTube, you can see a punk episode of 21 Jump Street, and there's a band playing there but they weren't allowed to play their own songs they had to lip sync an agent orange song so (laughs) death sentence were hired to lip sync an agent orange song however they did get some money and with the money when you have money what do you do when you have money Michael what do you do when you have money self-abuse Yes, but also you run away from girlfriends, wives, etc. So they escaped Vancouver to Victoria for a wild weekend. And it's amazing you say self-abuse. A wild
1: wild weekend in Victoria?
0: Yes, a wild (laughs) weekend in Victoria. You love Canadian music. We have some No Means No coming up. Michael, author of Have Not Been to Seen, the Can Rock Renaissance, 1985 to 1995. So they get to Victoria. They're partying there without their girlfriends, without their wives. They're up for some self-abuse. So Pete Puke, Pete Nipplehead, the lead singer of Death Sentence, staples his balls to a picnic bench just for the hell of it I years d- before steve-o even thought of it <laughs> and Stephen ham of the band ham tank hog of the band canned ham Can ham of, of canned, of canned ham yes. and slow told me that story so that's a connection to so that's how we're stretching it here today on an Art human survey radio show so everything does hook up to everything else with your book have not <laughs> been the same but i didn't quite allow you to say exactly what is your book about for people that don't know
1: it's about a lot of people who staple their testicles to picnic tables. No, it's uh, it's about Canadian music between 1985 and 1995. And it's about a time, like, after the hippies, after all the classic rock staples, after the initial burst of punk rock happened, and well before the last ten years, which has been so amazing for Canadian music, coast to coast on every level and around the world, uh, there's this time where all this stuff... Great stuff came out when you could only hear it on campus radio, you could only hear it late at night on CBC, all their kind of secrets being passed along. Uh, some and
0: speaking of hearing stuff, we're hearing your baby in the background.
1: We're hearing Nard Barkley in the background. Leonard! Leonard, yes.
0: Leonard, we... welcome to the to Human Serviette Radio Show. Little... Ellen, can you bring Leonard to the mic at all?
1: Little Nard, meet Big Nard on the radio. Hello, Leonard. Your mic is on. Oh, he's reaching for it. He's caressing it. <laughs> He's caressing it slowly. Do you have anything to say? How about a little tickle?
0: Yeah, where's the noise now when we want yeah, it. No. Oh, I shouldn't a say noise. Where's the language anyway?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's coming.
0: But Helen... Yeah. And Michael and Leonard are live here on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. They've come all the way from Toronto, Ontario, Canada to help get the word out on the book Have Not Been The Same, The Can Rock Renaissance, 85 to 95. And speaking of that, we should mention right off the bat, before we even really got into the book, tomorrow there's an event, speaking of Canned Ham.
1: Speaking of Stephen Ham, tomorrow at Red Cat Records. Um, you can give me the exact address. I don't know what that's It's on about. Main Street. It's on Main Street, and uh, it's tomorrow at Fort. 4- that really helps. <laughs> <laughs> 4 p.m., and uh, I'll be hosting a panel discussion with uh, uh, Tom Harrison f- uh, of the George Strait, Vancouver Province, legendary Vancouver music writer, and uh, Stephen Ham of the band Slow, who's uh, who gave us the song that the book title comes from, and uh, also Ford Pierre, who's played with everybody from Junior Gone Wild to the Statics to DOA to Veda Hilly, one of my favorite musicians, one of my favorite people, and uh, one of the smartest guys I know. Uh, so we'll all be uh, gabbing uh, tomorrow at Red Cat at 4. And
0: the book will be available, too. And it's a brand new reissue of the book, too. If you got it 10 years ago or whatever, you can get the updated version tomorrow at Red Cat at 4 p.m. And Michael here is live on the to Human Serviette radio show with Leonard and (laughs) Helen as well. And Beppy lurking in the background there. And by the way, Bepi is apologizing to all the people that listened last week to the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show. Bepi described Brian Jones as Brian Jones when it's really Bryn Jones. Right there, Beppy? Right, (laughs) Beppy? Yes, Beppy said that. And that was in relation to something that happened last week. But I would like to ask you, Michael Barkley from Have Not Been the Same. Did you invent... Well, actually, did we even say what the book was about, really?
1: We did. It's about Canadian music from '85 to '95, roughly. It's a broad theme.
0: Did you invent the term "can rock"?
1: I think I stole it from Dave Bedini of the Rio Statics. I think I, I think it appears in the liner notes of Whale Music in 1992.
0: Because it wasn't used a lot, was it, until kind of you brought it back?
1: Uh, yeah. I think I'm looking at Whale Music right now, and no, maybe it's in Melville. But I mean, I. I'm positive I got it from him, and he, of course, got it from the uh, academic term Can Lit, applying to Canadian literature. So, yes.
0: I thought maybe also the book Mondo Canuck might have inspired you a bit. Do you remember the book Mondo Canuck? By Jeff Bevere and Greg Diamond?
1: Yes, very well. That was one of the inspirations for the book because we didn't feel like the music we liked was in that book at all. We thought it was a very interesting book and it covered a lot of kind of crazy things in Canadian culture. But, for example, a band like the Rheostatics, who are one of my favorite bands of all time, Canadian or otherwise, got about a paragraph of uh, derisive commentary in the entire book. Uh, I don't really remember any punk rock in there at all. Uh, Things like the Aug Records scene out of Montreal, It came from Canada. Compilations were really important to me when I was a kid. That stuff wasn't in there. Bands like The Gruesomes, stuff like that. Um, It was kind of more... That was more about Canadian kitsch, I found. It was a
0: pop culture book. It had a little bit on music. So you can't really compare the two, really, though.
1: No, and it was very broad, too. I mean, that covered Canadian culture from, like, the 50s up to whatever the present... I think that book came out in the late 90s, perhaps. But part of the reason we wrote it was because there's so little written about... Canadian music in general um, that isn't part of a broader thing like oh we're going to talk about Canadian culture so let's have a little bit about music and we'll talk about Loverboy for five minutes and so this was meant to cover everything else that never gets talked about and that I mean a lot of the stuff is out of print it isn't available and it's really in danger of being forgotten I think so this is a way of really keeping it alive the original book came out in 2001 it went out of print for many years it wasn't available because it sold out it was very popular um, and uh, and then a lot of young musicians and younger kids Starting to ask me about the book. I'd kind of forgotten about it almost, but a lot, there's still a lot of people really interested in it. So we thought we'd go back and do some new interviews with people that we missed the last time and kind of finish the stories like some people who broke up or got back together or some people who died like Alex Soria of the Nils, which is one of my favorite stories in the book. Well, not my... It's one of the best stories in the book. It's a very tragic story. Um, so there are a lot of loose ends we wanted to tie up and and tell stories that weren't in the first edition. And there's also a really beautiful new cover as well.
0: And I think reading your book for the second time, I understand it a bit more, because it says, have not been the same. The Can Rock Renaissance 85 to 95 is, quote, this book is about a time and a place. Because at first, I was like, hmm, you have stuff on Blue Rodeo. Ooh, you have stuff on Tragically Hip. But then I realized it's a book about rock, isn't it? It was not an indie rock. It's not the
1: history no. of
0: indie rock in never, Canada, cl- never it? Never claimed
1: to be indie rock and never claimed to be punk rock. It was the music that the three authors really liked, and I really liked the rodeo, and I really liked the Tragically Hip. And one of my favorite things about the Tragically Hip was they would go on the road, and they were the biggest band in Canada of that time, and they could have done anything they wanted or taken anybody on the road. And who do they bring as their opening acts? They bring Eric's Trip. They bring the Inbred they bring the rheostatics they brought all these kind of other bands from kind of the campus radio world and uh, they were very benevolent and and really kind of helped uh, spread their popularity to this whole other level of musicians which I thought was really admirable and
0: when you interviewed them you
1: often told them to get a haircut boom but
0: (laughs) that's why I know why
1: they were bald by the time we interviewed
0: them that's why I know why the band the box are in there too like carry on carry on carry on like they're in there because at first of all it was a history of indie rock what are the box in there what can you tell people about the box Box, Sass
1: Jordan, The Box. The Box were a band from uh, Montreal who uh, uh, Jean-Marc Pisapia, who was a singer, he was in Men Without Hats briefly. That was another weird thing we did, found when researching this book, is that Men Without Hats, we all think, you know, they have a one-hit wonder and it's always on The Simpsons or whatever, but Men Without Hats uh, were connected to Voivod. They were connected to the Nils, who were like 14-year-old punk rockers at the time. Ivan from Men Without Hats, like, let those kids sleep at his house. They came from kind of a troubled home, and he kind of took them under his wing and gave them money to make their first record and then a uh, country band like three o'clock train and he, he co-wrote things with Mitsu. there's so much things happening in montreal at that time that ivan from men without hats had his uh, had his hands in and and the rational youth came out of men without hats and the box came out from men without hats i don't like a lot of the box but i'd say the box has about four really good songs
0: carry on
1: is carry on one of them i don't even remember that one so i would have to say no
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> you do remember a lot, Michael Barkley, author of Have Not Been the Same, The Can Rock Renaissance, 85 to 1995. You're so Canadian. Your phone number, even has a Canadian sort of feel to it. 668. Don't worry, I'm not giving you a full, full number. But That's The uh, Neighbor of the
1: Beast by y- My Dog Popper.
0: Exactly! You're like the <laughs> only one that would get that. Isn't that incredible?
1: And I never realized that until you brought it up right now.
0: And what can you tell the people? My Dog Popper, 668,
1: Neighbor of the Beast. Uh, They were banned band from... Uh, Montreal or Ottawa? Maybe they were from Ottawa. They were, they were one of the AUG bands. I think it
0: might have been Montreal.
1: They're from Montreal. They were from Montreal. And uh, one of the guys in that band was uh, a big engineer in Montreal. He, he recorded a lot of records. Steve Kovacs, maybe? Kovacs? And um, uh, they, had, uh, they were on the very first It Came From Canada compilation, which was very important for this whole time and place. That came out in 1985. It Came From Canada, Volume 1. <laughs> And that was part of the reason why we started the book in 1985. It had uh, tiny bands from all across the country, from Edmonton, from New Brunswick, from Vancouver, from Ottawa, Toronto. Um, and uh, there were five It Came From Canada compilations, and that's part of what got me into independent Canadian music and got me really interested in weird little garage bands across the country.
0: And I think my dog, Popper, might have also been on the It Came From The Pit compilation. Remember, there was a compilation called It Came From The Pit. Vaguely. That had SNFU on it and yeah. No Means No, and you have right now a No Means No track that we're going to be hearing.
1: We do. We're going to play a track that appears on one of my favorite compilations of Canadian music ever, which is called Last Call, all, Vancouver independent music from 77 to 88 which came out on Zulu Records
0: and if people want to reference back to the beginning of the Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show no means nowhere from
1: Victoria, BC
0: where Pete Puke
1: stapled his testicles to a picnic table
0: on the Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show Wrong! Wrong! Uh, Watch well, this. Where did I say wrong? Because No Means No actually. Have a great have album called Wrong. Have a song wrong. called Wrong. What are we looking for here exactly?
1: I thought it was track two on disc two of Last Call.
0: Okay, what do we have here? That was. That really. That did not sound like it, did it? No. Okay.
1: That was wrong.
0: That was totally wrong. That was really, that was really scary here. So, again, here hopefully is No Means No with.
1: Uh, this track is... Six, Self-pity! S- six minutes long, is that right?
0: It is, yes. Okay. Okay, now you have to scare the listeners. But the listeners <laughs> in Vancouver are never scared... They're adventurous people. ...by no this pioneer means spirits. no. Because you can never get enough of no means no. Yes. back. Track just right in the middle of it. Sorry, uh, let's, so I just stopped that track right in the middle of the whole thing. We can blame it on the baby. Now, I might have usually have done that in the olden days. Like, for instance, in your book, and we're speaking here to Michael Barclay, the author of Have Not Been the Same, The Can Rock Renaissance, 1985 to 1995. I just stopped. No means no other. Like, that's like sacrilege. The legendary. Yeah, you know what? No means, so I hit the wrong button. That
1: song's too long. Well,
0: <laughs> you can never get enough. But what I was going to say is in your book have not been the same, the Can Rock Renaissance, you mentioned a band the Bourbon Tabernacle Choir. Yes. What can you tell the people about them? Because I have a story relating to just popping a CD out. When they came to my radio show years ago, the Bourbon Tabernacle Choir, I thought, well, let's compare them to Lenny Kravitz. So I had Lenny Kravitz on one turntable, and their music on the other, and they didn't like it, and kind of walked out on me. Mm. They seemed very serious. Yeah. Is that what they were like, the Bourbon Tabernacle Choir? Because you Champion them in your book. So my question to you, Michael Barclay, is: yeah. You're writing this book. How did you find out if people were serious or not? Like, I mean, these guys were very serious. It wasn't really fun. Did you try to get rid of the fun groups and only talk to serious? Or what was your, you know, ideas for doing this? Because <laughs> Roman Tabernacle Call walked right out on me. They weren't fun.
1: No, I'm from Toronto. I don't like fun. I don't know what, why, why you. <laughs> Okay, enough said. No, no, listen. I I like that band a lot. Some of the people in that band are very fun. Some of those people are very close friends of mine uh, these days. And uh, they're a a lot of fun band on stage. Uh, Some of them maybe took it more seriously than others. I don't know which members walked out of it. There's a big band. Eight people were in that band.
0: Now, that being said, Sloan also walked out on me in an interview, too. So maybe that makes them exactly the same. And also, I remember when I interviewed the Doughboys, they were very serious, too. Because I interviewed them on the day they were playing in Vancouver with Screaming Trees and Nirvana and it was Chai Pig from SNFU and his band the Wongs then it was the Doughboys then it was Nirvana then it was the Screaming Trees. and the Doughboys were upset that they had to open up for (laughs) Nirvana because remember in that day and age People from the East and West didn't really know what was going on in each other's yeah. scenes. So yeah. they were just curious, like, we got to open up for some band from called Nirvana. I think afterwards they probably understood why it was actually that way. But yeah. they seemed very serious, too. I love the Doughboys and all, but they seemed very serious along with the Bourbon Tabernacle Choirs, along with Sloan the very
1: first time, too. Uh, something both Doughboys and Bourbon Tabernacle Choir have in common is they both started very young. They were both teenage bands who, like, hit the road early, like, booked their own tours, did a lot of hard work. So maybe they've been working their ass off since they were 15 or 16, and then maybe that's why they took things a little too seriously but bourbon tabernacle choir uh some of those people are still very busy today chris brown and kate Fenner made some great records in the last 10 years andrew whiteman still a member of broken social scene and had a band has a band i think had past tense a band called apostle of hustle uh so people in that band have gone on to do uh, other things dave wall was at the flying bulger klezmer choir and uh, our band and,
0: uh, yeah. Well, another person that you mentioned, too, in your book that was very serious when I encountered him was mm. Andrew Cash. Yes. I interviewed Andrew Cash. Who yep. is Andrew Cash, for people that don't know?
1: Andrew Cash is the new NDP MP for the writing of Davenport. He was just elected in the last federal election, along with his former bandmate from L'Etranger, Chuck Angus, who is the NDP MP from Northern Ontario. In the early 80s, L'Etranger was one of the first real uh, DIY punk bands from Toronto. Toronto punk was kind of terrible... Uh, Vancouver had a lot better music going on in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, Toronto Punk kind of made a big scene and there was a big splash, but uh, L'Etranger were one of the first bands kind of like The Clash. They were much more political. They did take themselves very, very seriously. Their manager of L'Etranger was James Booth, who now runs Radio Three here in Vancouver? So if you ever talk to James Booth, he can tell you lots of funny stories about how seriously L'Etranger took themselves. Uh, after L'Etranger broke up, uh,
0: you make everything make sense. Thank you for <laughs> answering all these questions, Michael. Now it totally makes sense why Andrew Cash reacted the way he did when what? I was in because inter- he was running
1: for office. Well, 20, well no, 20, I- twenty years in advance, he was like, "I'm going to be in the House of Commons one day." I gotta be very serious.
0: Oh, and that's what it seemed like because mm-hmm. when I interviewed him, he didn't walk out on the interview. He complained about the interview to the label rep, and then the label rep yelled at me for what happened. I just thought it was weird, like a former punk rocker that yeah. quote gives Canadian punk a social justice, mm-hmm. like Andrew Cash, that he's so serious, that the Bourbon Tabernacle Choir is so serious, that the Doughboys are so serious, and even the band Rusty that kind of had some Doughboyisms, they weren't serious, but they had like some serious sort of muscle behind them. Okay. I remember the record label Bringing Rusty down to my radio show two minutes. I don't know why they cared about the Nardwuar Demonz radio <laughs> show, but like two minutes before it began, we were like, "Didn't we tell you we're coming down for an interview?" Like they yeah. kind of like put their band on air because they wanted publicity yeah. of their band. So those were quite interesting bands that had quite serious management, like that
1: Toronto sort of connection. Are you saying Vancouver? That never happens with Vancouver bands.
0: Well, it didn't seem to happen as Sons of much.
1: Fre- Sons of Freedom weren't serious.
0: A lot of the bands were serious, but I guess I knew them, right? Right. So I just kind of figured that if you're touring the country, you're a bit more jovial and stuff like that. So it was interesting techniques. No, if you're touring the country, you're
1: broke and you're hungry and uh, (laughs) you've you've rolled into Vancouver and you're looking forward to something and then maybe they don't know what's going on. They probably didn't know what was going on. I don't think your, your national notoriety really kicked in until early 90s, mid 90s
0: well I mean I don't think it really matters who you are you should treat somebody with respect whether unknown or a total unknown I just thought they weren't as fun and I think you were kind of alluding to that in the same way how in Toronto you said maybe they were a bit more serious about the music where in Vancouver Mm. people were just kind of going for it putting out their own records and didn't really care about getting the big deal so it was a bit more relaxed attitude and you can read all about that in have not been the same the Can Rock Renaissance 1985 to 1995 and we have Michael Barkley here live on Denard Ward, human survey radio show. So tell me, Michael, the importance of
1: suicidegirls.com to your book. Uh, it doesn't appear anywhere in the book. Yes, you thank suicidegirls.com. I, me personally?
0: In the back, there's a thank to suicidegirls.com. Oh, because I, th-
1: I know why. I know why. Because that is the only website that interviewed Tom and in Selmy of Slow about his new band, Mirror. That's, that was the only press we could find on his new band, Mirror, was an interview on the suicidegirls.com website.
0: And if people are wondering again, that's Leonard in the background who will be interviewing Tom about his new band probably in about 20 years. <laughs> yeah. And Leonard actually kind of is like Nardwar, isn't it? I'm honored by that, Mar- Michael. It's true. We,
1: we chose the name Leonard for our baby, Helen Spitzer and I. And Helen's like. We'll turn he's. on the mic now. Yeah. Leonard, what do you got to say? Now that mic's on, silence. Oh, drew A lot of drool, though. We thought we could call him Leo. And I said, yeah, we could call him Leo. Or we could call him Nard. Nard Barkley. It kind of had a little ring to it.
0: And I really appreciate that. Leonard. So thank you, Suicide Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Who ever thought that Leonard and Suicide Girls would come together? Not me. And that's because SuicideGirls.com interviewed Tom. And yep. Tom was in a band Mirror. Yep. And before Mirror was copyright. And then it was Slow as well. Yep. And the name of the book is Have Not Been the Same About... The Can Rock Renaissance, eighty-five to nineteen ninety-five, haven't been the same. Being a slow song, and
1: before slow, he was in. I do not know. I I shouldn't bring it up because I forget the name. But uh, he went to high school with Veda Hilly, and Veda Hilly told me the name of his high school band, and it was really rude and offensive. And I wish I remembered it now. <laughs> but if you ask Veda Hilly, whose birthday it was yesterday. Uh, about Tom and Selmy's high school band. She has a very funny story about it.
0: And now he helps run the Waldorf Hotel in Thank You for British Columbia Canada. Yeah. And Vishkana. Thank you, Vishkana. He's also thanked
1: in your book. That's Vishkana.
0: True. Who is Vishkana? Uh,
1: he's a guy from Guelph. He did a uh, timeline of Eric's trip that ran and exclaimed that uh, uh, had a lot of good interviews of stuff that we didn't have in our book initially. So we just we just ripped him off and put some of that stuff in our book.
0: Who Everglades. I didn't know anything about the Everglades, and there's a fascinating connection between the Everglades and Brian Eno, Michael Barkley, author
1: of Have Not Been the Same. The Everglades were a Toronto band featured this guy called Michael Brook, and he invented something called the infinite guitar. And uh, basically, he started hanging around Daniel Lanois, and Daniel Lanois kind of like uh, copped that guitar sound, and then Daniel Lanois uh hooked up with brian eno because brian eno heard a seven inch from a hamilton ontario band called the time twins and he called up the studio where the time twin seven inch was made and he just said hey i want to come there and make a record and daniel Lanois brother bob said uh yeah well i've never heard of you so cash up front buddy so he told brian eno cash up front i've never heard of you so then brian eno comes to hamilton hangs out with daniel Lanois, who at that time was making jingles for african lion safari and making records for raffi and then together, they, they started making all these ambient records and, and Michael Brook's guitar sound. They made some, guitar, some records with Michael Brook. And then uh, Daniel Lanois made U2 records. And then U2's sound completely changed once they started working with Lanois and Eno. And so I would say that The Edge ripped off Daniel Lanois, who ripped off Michael Brook from the Everglades.
0: Amazing tidbit from Michael Barclay's Have Not Been the Same, The Can Rock Renaissance. Was that in the first version of the book? Did I miss that in the first version of the book? I don't yes, remember that
1: story. Yes, you did.
0: I was hoping that, because I'm talking to you about the re-release of your book, yes. you know, 10 years afterwards, I was hoping that was a new tidbit, but yes. I guess I missed it the first time around. How about A Neon Rome? Did I miss them the first time around?
1: Yes, you did. And I still am still missing them. Who are A Neon Rome? <clears throat> Have you ever seen the film Roadkill by Bruce McDonald? Yes. Okay, one of my favorite movies of all time. And that movie is actually based... They were going to make an A-Neon Romer, a Toronto band, who took a lot of acid and had really crazy, like... Uh, uh ecstatic uh like orgasm rock shows and uh apparently a very early influence on Godspeedy black emperor apparently ephraim went to see their shows all the time and that's where he got his big whole like orchestral build thing from so you rome would put on these events and they'd be like crazy light shows and they wanted everybody to be on acid and their album was called the new heroine and uh and so they're kind of this crazy band and then their manager had all this money. He's like, we got to make, we got to make a hard day's night about this band. We got to put this band in northern Ontario where everyone will hate them, and there's going to be riots, and the youth will be like killing people in the streets. They'll, this will inspire the thing, and we got to get it on film. So they, in all seriousness, wanted to make a nonfiction documentary about on Rome. But right before they made it, the singer took a vow of silence and he refused to speak to anybody and uh and then the the band kind of broke up shortly after they did make another record that never came out. and then Bruce McDonald, who was scheduled to direct the film, he's like, "This is still a great story. I think we should just turn this into a movie." So Don Mckellar wrote a script about a guy who wanted to be a serial killer, and he was following this band around Northern Ontario, and a woman who was hired by a manager to find this band, whose singer had taken a vow of silence. so uh, it's an amazing movie, Roadkill, and it's partially based on A neon Rome, who miraculously the singer like uh, totally like like freaked out and 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 cleaned himself up. He was like just taking way too much acid. Came out the other side completely clean, like a yoga teacher working with like mentally challenged people. And they still play the occasional gig. I saw them a couple of years ago at the Dakota Tavern in Toronto. Amazing, amazing show. He is one of the best live frontmen I've ever seen in my life. And he was in this basement bar, whipping the microphone around and jumping around. Totally incredible band. I don't, I don't think the record captures it. I don't think the record is actually very good. But
0: uh, What label was the record on? We tried to look it up today, yeah. couldn't find it. What did they sound like, since we can't play it here today? Um, and what is available for people to check out?
1: They, they re-released it on CD. That's why they played that show that I saw, because they re-released it on CD. And uh, you, uh, you can buy it on iTunes now. It came out on a label called New Rose out of France, which put out a lot of punk stuff in the 80s. And, uh, how they were on New Rose! They were. How they got on there, I don't really know. And in Toronto, the only person who put it out, uh, Elliot Lefko, started a label and put it out himself. Elliot Lefko now books Coachella in California.
0: The first printing of your book, and we're speaking here to Michael Barkley, author of Have Not Been the Same, The Canrock Renaissance, 85 to 95, and you're in Vancouver. You're live here in Vancouver. Exactly. But tomorrow you're going to be live in Vancouver as well. I know. At Red Cat Records on Main Street. We've got the address. You're doing the similar thing as you're doing on an hardware to Human Serviette radio show. Actually, if anybody has any questions for Michael, it's 604 822
1: 604
0: or come on down tomorrow.
1: And harass me personally. And buy a
0: copy of the book, too. At
1: at 4332 Main Street. I will have copies of the book that I brought with me on the plane. My suitcase weighed 84 pounds.
0: That's 4 p.m. tomorrow. And a panel discussion, too, as well.
1: Yes, with uh, Stephen Hamm and Ford Pierre and Tom Harrison.
0: So the first printing of your book, Have Not Been the Same... It's kind of like a Bible. I mentioned to you this at one time in the sense that like, when bands are on tour, oftentimes they get interviewed. And the Rio Statics told me that for a little while, after they were doing tours, after the book had come out, they were always interviewed with the same questions from <laughs> Have Not Been the Same. Did you find that at all? Uh,
1: well, I didn't ask those same questions of bands that I interviewed after because I had written the book. But so did like- you find that people were using stuff that
0: you had brought up? Did you see stuff that you had brought up? Mainstreaming itself?
1: Uh, I can't say I noticed it, but I know that uh, Grant Lawrence told me he had it on his desk and referred to it often. What about fallout from your book, from Have Not Been the Same, the first
0: time around? Was there any fallout from it? Like, for instance, people saying stuff that maybe they shouldn't have said?
1: Like, for instance. Oh, like regretting stuff that's in the book?
0: Yeah. Like, for instance, on page 483, there's something about the band Jail. What can you say about the band Jail, firstly?
1: Uh, the band Jail was a band of four women from Halifax who uh, started out just uh, shortly after Sloan kind of took off. After everything started happening in Halifax, started ha- it happened very quickly. Um, there, there, A lot of them were friends with Sloan or girlfriends with him at the time, and they kind of bought equipment and put stuff together. And uh, it took off. They got signed to Sub Pop and uh, sold a, actually a lot of records of their first album, Dream Cake. And... Uh, um, uh, Jenny Pierce and Laura Stein and Eve Hartling also had another band called the V's. Uh, Mike Belitsky of the Sadies St- uh-huh. uh-huh. joined them after uh, the first drummer left. Um, yeah, they were a good band. What uh, I don't remember anything controversial about them. The
0: On book. page 483 of your book, Joyce Linehan and a number of people at Sub Pop said the Jail EP was. Awful. Yes. So I guess there's a bit of like awfulness
1: implied. <laughs> um, I, you know what I want Like did Sub Pop get mad about that? Uh, I have no idea, but I know that I tried to talk to Joyce Linehan this time because we thought Joyce Linehan was this woman from Sub Pop who signed like Eric's trip and jail and Zampano and I'm blanking now. Who else? She was out of Boston. Hardship Post. She was out of Boston. She eventually, um, uh, she managed the Pernice Brothers and ran Joe Pernice's label for him. Uh, Laura Stein of Jail married Joe Pernice and they now live near me around Queen and in Toronto uh, they um, yeah and she said uh, I don't have anything to say about that time anymore. She turned down an interview for the new edition.
0: Now what's interesting about that is maybe there is a conspiracy against the first Jail because you know there's a new band called Jail. J-A-L-E? No, J-A-I-L-L. Oh, yes. And they're from Wisconsin, and they're amazing! I love them, and guess what record label they're on? Sub Pop. They're on Sub Pop. So it's like Sub Pop <laughs> has tried to erase from our collective conscience the existence of a Canadian band called Jail. Isn't it weird to have another band called Jail, and it's on Sub Pop?
1: They're still on the Sub Pop website, because I was looking for new pictures of Jail, because I didn't like the picture of Jail in the old edition. So, and, But they still had um, Jail from Halifax. They had their press photos are still available on the Sub Pop website. I'll tell you one quote That's so how many regretted Joel Plaskett of Thrush Hermit told me that uh, he regretted saying that um, uh, Chris Murphy was a very early uh, uh, mentor to young Thrush Hermit, who were all teenagers at the time and uh, Joel Plaskett made some comment about how uh, you know, uh, we made Chris Murphy feel like he was a pedophile, I believe. And uh, when I interviewed Joel Plaskett again for this edition, he's like, "Yeah, I don't know. You might want to take out that pedophile comment." I'm like, I, don't, "I think it's really funny." He's like, "Oh, okay." So that that remains in the book. But Joel Plaskett had some regrets about calling Chris Murphy a pedophile.
0: Did you ever meet Stomp and Tom at all? Stomp and Tom Connors, Canadian legend.
1: I never did meet him. He's still playing. He's playing some dates this summer.
0: Because Aaron from ChartAttack.com rest right. in peace. He told me he once party at Stomp and Tom's house. Did you the hear record, about
1: that? Aaron Brophy is still alive. Chart Attack, however.
0: Yes. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, yeah, he did tell me that story. Yes, and and what uh, happened there? Oh, did, I, I've heard it, and it is a funny story. You have to get Aaron to tell it. But the classic story about Stomp and Tom is that if you are a member of his band, you sign a contract. Well, s- at least one person from his band has to stay up and drink with him every night. That his band is not allowed to go to bed, and Stomp and Tom has a notoriously ravenous appetite for beer. And um, there have been people uh, in the hospital with alcohol poisoning because they could not keep up with Stomp and Tom Connors. Uh Connors. So Aaron Brophy's story uh, is something about... Stomp and Tom lives in, uh, just outside Georgetown, Toronto, about an hour west of Toronto. And um, so there's some big EMI party at his house one night, and then suddenly everyone realized that they were all tanked and nobody knew how to get home back to Toronto, which was like a 45-minute drive away. And I think Aaron Brophy maybe slept over at Stomp and Tom's. Do you know... like? What do you know about the story? You brought it up.
0: Something about Stomp and Tom's son or something like that was involved. That's how he got into the house? Stomp and Tom's son?
1: You know, this is a really boring story if neither one of us knows the punchline.
0: I just thought it was great though <laughs> this meeting Stump and Tom and you weren't able to get him in the book though like you said yeah. Joyce declined an interview right yeah. did you try Stump and Tom um,
1: I didn't actually because my interest in Stump and Tom because Stump and Tom uh, all those great records are in the 70s really and then he, he famously resigned from the industry he was so disgusted with Canadian music he thought Canadian music uh, just kissed the ass of anyone who wanted to sound American and uh, he set pack put all his Junos in a box and he sent them back he said screw you this is Canada does not respect its own people Canadians do not sing about Canada, Canadians do not care about, the Canadian industry does not care about Canadian artists. And then Dave Bedini of the Rio Statics tracked him down in 1985. He kept calling the, the Stomp and Tom's office all the time, like, what's he doing, what's he doing, what's he doing? And then uh, he eventually found out that Tom was having a birthday party. So Dave Bedini and Tim Vesely of the Rio Statics showed up at Stomp and Tom's birthday party, talked their way in... And said uh, we're like 20 years old, and we really love what you do, and uh, and he invited them in. They had a few drinks, and and everything was great. And then that's part of what made Davidini want to write about Canadian uh, uh, places and topics and things, which didn't happen in the 80s. Like We kind of take it for granted now and and people do it all the time, but back then it was really weird. It was like, why on earth would you sing about Canada? Why don't you sing about uh, Nashville or Los Angeles? That's what everyone else does. Why don't you sing about London, England or pretend you're British? Um, That's what most Canadian bands did back then, no matter what genre of music, Uh, punk rock as much as anything. And so the rheostatics were one of the first people to kind of change that. And I I think a lot of people after that um, did it as well. And, And Gord Downey, the Tragically Hip, a big part of that, um, and now it's just nobody thinks anything of it, and and I think Canadians are much more proud today of and just less self conscious about this is where we are and this is what we do. You know, a song like "The Smugglers," Vancouver, BC. I don't think that would have been written ten years before that. I think that was uh, and and I know that you know Grant Lawrence is a huge Stomp and Tom fan as well. The
0: Ballad of Wendell Clark.
1: Exactly, that was a reaesthetic really song. Um, so uh, why didn't I interview him? Because I felt like his story was mostly the '70s, and then why he was important in this time period is because of uh story started bringing him back, and then the guy from EMI called Bedini, who was still like 20 years old. He was a little; he was a kid at that point, and said, "If I ever find Stomp and Tom, I'm going to sign him to EMI." And he eventually did. And then Stomp and Tom put out some records in the late 80s and 90s. Put out a great compilation called "A Proud Canadian" that went uh, sold more than platinum. So it was it was a very popular record, and um, uh, yeah, so that's why I wanted to put him in there because I, I don't think he gets his due either because people think Stomp and Tom is corny and uh, and some of his songs certainly are and some of his songs are better as children's songs as they are as songs for adults but a lot of Stomp and Tom songs are beautiful and a lot of Stomp and Tom songs deserve to be remembered and deserve to be sung and, des- and are total national treasures And uh, but because he's really corny or if people think he's kitschy people don't take him seriously and I think you should take Stomp and Tom seriously you don't have to read 1500 pages of his autobiography like I did but you do. It, it's important to know a little bit about him and where he's coming from but it's
0: good his biography is so detailed something that I oh, learned yeah. in your book did have not been the same, the Can Rock Renaissance, 85 to 95. Some of the neat little tidbits included by Michael Barclay.
1: Yeah, I just want to say what an honor it is to be interviewed by the most meticulous, uh, well researched journalist in uh, Canada that I know.
0: Well, thank you for the kind words, Michael. I'm just learning so much. I love the knowledge that you can get through Have Not Been the Same, the Can Rock renaissance and right now speaking of stomp and tom don't want to compare the two but we have something here from jerry jerry coming up jerry jerry rootsy right what can you say about jerry jerry we're
1: about to hear jerry jerry and the sons of rhythm orchestra were from edmonton alberta and jerry jerry uh later moved most of his band uh to montreal there's a big edmonton montreal axis at that time and uh jerry jerry were uh i I can't say this word there's certain words i can't say here right
0: Oh, no, go ahead.
1: We okay. can always sense Well, in Edmonton, and I think Western Canada in general, there's a tradition of this thing called uh, a fuck band, which is a band... There's the band, like your serious band where you, like, you're doing it to get gigs and like maybe you'll make a record. Or whatever. And then there's the fuck band, which is like... You, you, it's just a drinking club. They
0: had that in Vancouver, too.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. It's a Western Canadian thing. And so it, uh, so Jerry Jerry started as, as a fuck band and became a very big band in Edmonton. Deja Voodoo heard about them. Everyone kept telling them, there's this band in Edmonton you've got to see. They'll just wipe the floor with you. And they got there, and Deja Voodoo was blown away. And then they put out. Uh, they put Jerry Jerry on a couple of their... It came from Canada compilations. Jerry Jerry then kind of went for bigger record deals. He signed a Corey Hart's label, and that didn't work out too well. And... Um, but uh, put out a, a couple of great records, and I think we should hear something from it right now. And also, I will say, this, I think, was one of the themes that was used on uh, David Wisdom's Nightlines show on the CBC, which is why this guitar riff is so important to me.
0: Jerry Jerry on the War to Human Serviette radio show with Michael Barkley talking about his brand new book, Have Not Been the Same. And... Here he comes.
1: Are you playing? You're playing.
0: We are. uh,
1: Have you got the right
0: thing up? We are. uh, We are trying to play this right now. Actually, um, yeah. Here, well, as uh, we can actually hear Michael in action here as we try to figure out how to get this going, and Jerry Jerry again, are from Edmonton, Alberta, and. Everything's going everything's going okay I think I know what the problem was there uh, thank you very much again I, is this some of the problems that you encounter when trying to expose people to Canadian music, there, Michael. That's the, right, man. Like the gods, the gods try to stop you from exposing people to great Canadian music. So, and that was the problem. There was I did not have the proper plug in there. So here we go again. Some Jerry, Jerry, and I did it again. Okay, let me see it. Oh, no! okay. <laughs> You know what, I think this is saying, screw Jerry Jerry, let's play something really good. Like, there's other bands, there's another band we have on Og Records that's really good. And this band is called... The Gruesomes. From Montreal. It's called Shasher <laughs> Ch- okay. Ch- okay. Ch- <laughs> Sorry, I even screw up the gruesomes there, too. So I think that's a sign to say, how dare we screw up right here, Jerry, Jerry. This is wrong to screw up Jerry, Jerry, isn't it? This is wrong to screw up Jerry, Jerry. Jerry, Jerry's saying, look, don't ditch me for the gruesomes. We are hopefully right here going to hit some Jerry,
1: Jerry action. There's also a chapter in the book about the charms of campus radio. And, And talking about CITR going on the air. And the first song CRTR ever played when it got. It- oh, there we okay, go. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here's a guitar riff. All
0: right. You know what? I screwed up again. I screwed up again. <laughs> I screwed up again. Okay, here we go. Now. Okay, sorry. Oh, now it's the flashing lights. So oh, sorry about you know what this is wrong this is totally you know we're not having a good time here at all i made some more mistakes what was next on the list that we wanted to play that's maybe fine. that's what we really should play it it. so basically the gods are saying no jerry jerry and no no actually let's try. no we don't want okay okay one more time here we're gonna try one more tra- no yeah well you know what's this here what do we got here
1: that's the real static. the
0: whale whale music okay what track would you like to hear off this one number six number six here on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. You know what? Screw that. We can't have the, Lloyd, where's that 7-inch? What, what? You know, this is what it's about. Okay, hold on here. We're still on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Why don't you right now, actually, as we're here, Michael, mm-hmm. what I would like to ask you about here is the name of the book is called Have Not Been the Same. Mm-hmm. And, the, yes, the name of the book is called Have Not Been the Same. And we have a 7-inch, yes. Do we have a 7-inch we could play? Anyone, actually. Uh, Which is important. Actually, no, the gods are now saying, no, we shouldn't actually play Have Not Been the Same. What else is left there in your pile there? Maybe that's what we should actually go to instead. What do we have there?
1: Uh, Do you want to play some Circle C? We could play some Slow. Lloyd's cleaning up some Slow right
0: now. Okay, there we go. What can you tell the people right here about Slow? Because the
1: name of your book is called Have Not Been the Same. Uh, slower band, I believe they were all teenagers. I think that I think they were like 17 or so 16 seventeen when they made these records. They put them out on Zulu. There was one seven inch and there was one EP called Against the Glass and that 's their entire discography, but it's uh, more than enough to build their reputation. Uh, they are so here we go let 's listen to them.
0: But we didn't do it properly. Actually, let's let's go back
1: to Jerry Jerry here.
0: I I, I got a no. We okay. We've had there. We uh, well, what what else is on the list? What else is what do we what else do we have there?
1: I have Circle C. I have mecha Normal. I have uh, what else do we have on here? We have Junior Gone Wild. There we go. Junior Gone
0: Wild. Too dumb to quit. That's what we want to hear on the Nardwarte Human yeah. Serviette radio show. I think is that No, we don't want to hear that. Let's get... No, let's... Uh, you know what I want to hear? This is what I want to hear. Can you tell about Slow if you could?
1: All right, Slow's most famous for their gig uh, in 1986, which was 25 years ago at uh, Expo 86. I think, like, last week, the 25th anniversary of this famous gig was. And they played Expo 86. They were supposed to lead off the Festival of Independent Music that some people refused to play for political reasons. Slow decided to do it. They came out, uh, they, they played a couple songs, and then Tom and Selmy started chucking large 2x4s into the audience, and the audience started fleeing, and then he took off his clothes, and then, uh, or he, he dropped trow, as uh, the Brits like to say, and then uh, they shut down the gig, and there was a riot, and apparently kids were shaking the BCTV uh, uh, tower signal, um, and people watching at home, uh, the movie that night was Rock and Roll High School uh, by the Ramones. So uh, I guess they were supposed to be. Maybe they're broadcasting it live. I'm not sure. Uh, but we can talk about that with Stephen Ham tomorrow at Red Cat Records. When we um, uh, Stephen Ham of Slow will be at Red Cat Records tomorrow.
0: And let's hear that
1: right now.
2: Expo has canceled the festival of independent recording artists, nicknamed Punk after hearing only two of the 16 bands.
0: Expo's director of entertainment announced the cancellation after a performance last night by the punk band
2: Slow. Expo complained today about bad language and disrobing in public. Vancouver police are investigating and have not yet decided whether to lay indecency charges.
1: This is the latest video from the punk band Slow, who even Expo advertised as, quote, untamed young performers brilliantly out of control. Witnesses at the Xerox International Theatre last night say the lead singer, Tom, mooned the audience, and bass player Steve dropped his drawers, at least partially. There was also some anti-Bennett talk between songs. Police escorted Slow off the site, and Expo decided to cancel the next band, Poisoned, for reasons of crowd control and safety. However, the teenagers on hand received no explanation and marched on the nearby BCTV pavilion. The CTV affiliate would not open its doors, shorten its newscast because of the noise outside, and started the movie Rock and Roll High School early when the real thing was happening
0: on their doorstep.
2: the main singer, he like, pulled down his pants and so the Cods got mad and so they
1: they were gonna cancel the rest of the shows because they thought the other groups were gonna do the same
2: thing. I never saw him expose himself uh, at all. Well, a lot of clap happened because of your concert last night. Something must have happened. Well, a lot of fuss about it. I don't know. See, there's, there's, we played, and as soon as we started playing, I saw people start to get nervous, like, not the audience. The audience started to get more into it. The more the audience liked us, the more nervous everyone got. It was kind of fairly standard,
1: slow performance. We just gave them exactly what they expected on the program and said, uh, brilliantly out of control band, and that's, that's under uh, description, I believe. police everywhere on
2: stage. And I think Expo just freaked out. They realized we freaked out. Now we have to start like arresting people and canceling things because we freaked out for no reason, just because people were starting to enjoy themselves the first time at Expo. So they couldn't even make up their mind what to do—whether they should pass, arrest us, throw us out. I mean. Why this band was ever booked on this show is beyond me. They've never proven themselves to have any social redeeming value or responsibility whatsoever, but does this make you guys a hot ticket? Well, uh, it makes us the hottest ticket in the town.
0: There seems to be a conspiracy here on the Nordwarty Human Serviette Radio Show, and I apologize to you, Michael, about playing Jerry Jerry in the Sons of Rhythm Orchestra. That's quite all right. But you're still listening to CITR Radio FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nordwarty Human Serviette Radio Show 88.5 Cable Two. If you want to go way back in time, or 102 if you just want to think it's 102, and. Who are you, Michael, and what did we just hear?
1: We just heard the Gruesomes with a song called Je Cherche, which I think was on the second record. Um, oh, Gruesomania was the second record, right? The first one was self-titled in Gruesomania then Hey. And uh, Je Cherche is a cover of a uh, 60s Quebecois garage band uh, whose name escapes me. But I wanted to play the Gruesomes because not only were they one of my favorite bands, they were on uh, Og Records, they were from Montreal, and uh, they looked great. They had like the 60s kind of go-go look down pat, and uh, they uh, there's a great story in the book about how um, in Canada, everybody... And could...
0: the book, just in case people are wondering, is have... No. That's what I meant. Who are you? You are oh, Michael Michael Barkley, author of Have Not Been the Same, yes. The Can Rock Renaissance, joining me in a Nordward, a human Serviette Radio Show, bringing in tunes, which I personally am pushing the buttons for. So I take all responsibility for pushing all the buttons. And the buttons are being pushed on Michael's back by his lovely wife... Helen Spitzer. And also...
1: Leonard Barkley,
0: who you can hear bark right now, bark, Barkley.
1: Uh, he's got a red pepper shoved in his. Have mouth, you been so. teased
0: a lot? You know, bark, Barkley. Have anybody done that? You know, come on, bark. Yeah,
1: not for thirty-five years, no.
0: But you can be teased tomorrow in Vancouver <laughs> At if you want to tease Michael. Yes, a Redcat Records. Michael's here in Vancouver, and you're going to be talking all about the Can Rock Renaissance book eighty-five to
1: ninety-five. Yes. But Back again, sorry, to the Gruesomes. The Gruesomes, uh, they said in Canada, everybody loved the Gruesomes. Every like all sorts of people came to see the Gruesomes. But when they went to the States, the only people who would come to see the Gruesomes were people who were so into like sixties mod rock, like people who came with like the Beetle boots and the haircut, and, and
0: they would bring quarters.
1: Yeah, he, he said, uh, this one guy this, this said, uh, hey, I really like your band. Hey, uh, here's a bunch of change. Uh, I know you're looking for gas money or whatever. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, check the date on those coins. And Bobby Beaton looks at all every single coin the guy gave him was from 1966, which is obviously where this guy's sense of history stopped. Devotion to the craft. Exactly. Very, very seriously, these people took the scene. But in Canada, everybody loved the Gruesomes.
0: And before that, we
1: heard... For that, we heard Slow slow with Have Not Been the Same, which is only, you know what, it's not available right now at all. The Last Call compilation is out of print, uh, the Slow material is out of print, and uh, hopefully that song itself will soon be in print again, because uh, it's one of the best songs to ever come out of this country.
0: And it might be on something coming up right now that you are releasing. Isn't that not true? You're releasing something.
1: We're trying to put out two records before the end of the year. One of them is uh, a compilation of unreleased tracks, because a lot of stuff from this time period is not available. And um, uh, and then, so that's one track we want to, to get on there. And then um, uh, the other is we're doing a tribute record of uh, all my favorite people from the current... Um, uh, from the last 10 years all, they're covering songs from that time period so if people like uh, the Great Lakes Swimmers are going to do the Grapes of Wrath What Was Going Through My Head uh, the Pink Mountain Tops are going to do No Means No uh, Veda Hilly is doing Circle C the Hidden Cameras are doing Mecha Normal um uh, Jill Barber is doing uh, Hardship Post. Um, so all, all sorts of people are covering all sorts of songs from that time period. And uh, one of the people, uh, another one of my favorite bands from Peterborough, Ontario, is called The Burning Hell. And they're going to cover a song by Men Without Hats. You
0: axed Sloan from the cover of your record. And this was a contentious issue, wasn't it, Michael? Because you have no. a book here called... Have Not Been the Same. Yes. And to Vancouverites, it was a bit of a slap in the face, wasn't it? The name of the book is Have me. Not Been the Same. Yes. It's about the legendary band Sloan, yes. but the cover oh, photo the on the Sloan? book
1: is not Sloan. It's a cover picture of Sloan. It's Sloan. There's Sloan and there's Slow. So Slow was not on the cover of the book. Sloan was on the cover of the book. But the reason we chose the picture of Sloan was because you could not tell what band it was. Did you know it was Sloan? Yes. As soon as you looked at the picture, did you know it was Sloan?
0: Yes. Well, I guess what was sort of interesting about it was was that, I guess, in Vancouver, we're always roping and hoping for the underdog, right? Right. And I guess having another band's photo on the cover or not, we thought Sloan might be on the cover. That was what I was thinking of.
1: Yeah, but that wouldn't sell any books.
0: But then everything everything was righted when Kurt Dahl, the new pornographers, ended up wearing a slow t-shirt on the David Letterman show. So everything turned out good in the end. Is that like Jesus
1: dying for my sins? Kurt Dahl wearing a t-shirt on Letterman? Is that...
0: (laughs) I guess it was just curious, Michael, the name of the book is yeah. The Can Rock Renaissance, 85 to 1995, have yep. not been the same. Mm-hmm. There is no photo on the cover. Previously, it was Sloan right. on the cover. Was there any pressure to put anybody else on the cover, like the Arcade Fire, even though they're not part of 85 to 95, just because they're probably the most famous Canadian band at the moment?
1: Right. Well, Celine Dion sold more records than anybody, so uh, we didn't really think about putting her on the cover Right. But she is in the book, though. There's a picture of her. There's a disclaimer at the beginning of the book when we talk about uh, why a lot, of, you know, why a lot of people are not in the book, and uh, we decided to run a picture of her because she is not in the book, and people think that. Um, uh you know, people are, people are, people look at the book and wonder why their favorite people aren't in there. So if you if you buy this book and you're looking for Celine Dion, obviously she's not in the book. So we just ran a little picture of her.
0: But then your good friend Stuart Berman wrote a book all about Celine Dion.
1: Uh, Carl Wilson. Oh, okay. Stuart, Stuart Berman wrote a great book about a broken social scene.
0: And Stuart Berman reviewed Sloan for Pitchfork.
1: I uh, did he? I don't. There was a really good review in Pitchfork. I don't know if if Stuart wrote it or not. But the new Sloan record is very very good. I'm. Uh, I, I'm not as big of a fan as one of my co-authors, but, uh, you know, I've always liked Sloan fine, but I think the new record is amazing.
0: The name of the book... Have Not Been the Same, The Can Rock Renaissance, and we're speaking here live to Michael Barkley, who's in Vancouver right now, and tomorrow we'll be at Red Cat Records at 4pm, talking about the book and also selling copies of the book yep. on a little panel discussion. For the actual book, it's really, really a good value. It's like $0.04 a page, isn't it? It's really cheap.
1: <laughs> I haven't done the math, but I, I, I trust that you have.
0: It's like 742 pages or whatever. 040.
1: Yeah, I'm what what do you think it would be per band? Because on the cover, the new cover of the book, we kind of list all the major bands talked about. So you could also divide it by the number of, of bands who get ample space. In it's book.
0: hard to hold, too, because it's so filled with information. Well, that's
1: interesting you bring that up. I think one of the main reasons our publisher wanted to print it again was because of the ebook revolution. And that uh, that way, the book will always be in print, because it doesn't cost them any overhead to have a bunch of copies in a warehouse. We did print, you know, a couple of thousand copies again. But um, what I'm really happy about is that now... Uh, the book will always be available. And people who are too uh, weak to physically hold the book can always read the (laughs) e-book. What were the sales for the record? For, of the book? Uh, We printed 4,000 and it sold out. Was it in U.S.
0: bookstores? Uh,
1: They have U.S. distribution. I don't know if it was actually in bookstores. You could definitely order it if you were in the U.S., but I I hope it was in some bookstores. When you actually do a book about records, is it hard to get into record stores? Um, uh, 10 years ago it was because record stores didn't sell books but now record stores will sell anything they can to stay in business so uh, you walk into an HMV wait a minute, are there still HMVs? No, they just closed the Canadian ones, didn't they? There's a, some bad HMV news recently. I can't remember what it was. But anyway, HMV, uh, if you walk in there, it's almost hard to find records. It's all DVDs and books. Um, but uh, there are great stores in Toronto like Soundscapes and Sonic Boom that sell, uh, you know, T-shirts and books and uh, magazines and all sorts of great things. Um, I'm not as familiar with the Vancouver record stores, but can you get books at Zulu Records, for yeah. example? And, uh, and Red Cat. So, yeah, I think I think record stores have, have learned that, you know, their audiences come there for a reason and they'll sell them anything related to the product they're there to get. So, uh, this time it is much easier to get them in bookstores. Another interesting anecdote, do you know the book Treat Me Like Dirt by Liz Worth about uh, Toronto and Hamilton punk rock? Um, That book came out on a record label called Bungle Beat and only recently did she get distribution through bookstores. So, initially her book only came out in record stores. Ralph put it out. Ralph Alfonso, yeah. But it's great that he actually put it out, though.
0: But he had put out a lot of ads. We knew it was out because he put out a lot of ads.
1: And it's a great book. I'm I'm really happy that he put it out because I think she had trouble getting a deal for a long time, but he stepped up, and uh, that's a really valuable contribution to... To Canadian musical history, that book.
0: And your particular book have not been the same. If you're looking through the photos, some say photo courtesy chartattack.com yep. and like Mint Records. Yep. How come chartattack.com got in there? Because they had them in their archives? Couldn't you just gone right yep. to Mint Records?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, Mint Records didn't have that shot of Cub anymore. I asked, I asked Mint Records for those other promo shots and uh, they didn't have them.
0: And then there was another one courtesy chartattack.com and Alternative Tentacles Records.
1: <laughs> Um, All of that is a way to say that we don't know who took the picture, that it was a promotional picture, and we're acknowledging where we got the picture from. In the ChartAttack.com, rest in peace, archives. from Aaron Brophy, who slept over at Stomp and Tom's house.
0: One band, as I mentioned, that's not in, have not been the same, Mm -hmm. the Can Rock Renaissance, Mm -hmm. is the Arcade Fire. Michael... The Arcade Fire. Yes. They were signed because they went on tour with the Unicorns. Oh, Nardware,
1: ex- we've been through
0: this. Could you please settle this once and for all for the people out there? <laughs> Remember, my theory is is yes. that the band, the Unicorns, from yes. Campbell River, British Columbia, Canada, right. yes. moved to Montreal and yes. took the Arcade Fire on tour yes. and in Merge Records saw the Arcade Fire right. on tour with the Unicorns. So if it wasn't for a Campbell River, British Columbia band, the Unicorns, the Arcade Fire would not have got signed to Merge records that was my theory
1: could you please elaborate uh, your theory is false the story is that uh, the Arcade Fire drummer and producer at that time was Howard Billerman who runs Hotel de Tango studio in Montreal he recorded Godspeed Black Emperor and many bands there and uh, he knew Mac and Laura from years ago he was a big Superchunk fan and he had recorded a live uh, a live show they did in Montreal that they uh, released many years later so he wrote to them he said hey I'm working with this band (laughs) And uh, I think they're really great, and you can take it or leave it, uh, you know, I'm not trying to pressure you or anything, but give it a listen if you like, and they listened to it and they loved it, and um, that's the direct connection between uh, Arcade Fire and Merge. And then, after they had heard it, the Unicorns took the Arcade Fire on tour, and while they were on tour, the Arcade Fire took a night off of that tour and went to play in Chapel Hill, and that's the first time that the Merge people saw. So. The unicorns are somewhat related to the reason they saw them live, but that they had actually already signed a merch.
0: Another connection between British Columbia, Canada, and the ascent of the Arcade Fire. Again, we're talking here to Michael Barkley, who has written a book that's been republished. We should give props to the other authors, too, involved, right? There's three other
1: authors. Uh, Jason Schneider who also has a great book called Whispering Pines which is more about like the 50s and 60s uh, Ian and Sylvia and Gordon Lightfoot and stuff like that and uh, Ian Jack who is a, a school teacher and and, uh, and he had to write some of the more difficult parts of the book and uh, he's a big part of, of why the book is great.
0: Have not been the same the Can Rock Renaissance okay so maybe you've shot down my idea about the unicorns responsibility for the Arcade Fire though I still kind of believe it I still want to think that Vancouver Island yes. shaped the Arcade Fire because Sarah Neufeld, Sarah Neufeld. From? Uh, Courtney? I'm not sure exactly where she was from. Somewhere on Vancouver Island. No, it starts with a the Comox? D. Comox? No,
1: D. What, what, what starts with D Is Duncan on?
0: Yes, there's Duncan, yes. Sarah, who plays violin in yes. the Arcade Fire. And Bellercast. One of the first bands she ever saw was Roots Roundup. Yes. From Vancouver, British Columbia, And who is Canada. the keyboard player in Roots Roundup? Well, who played bass with Roots Roundup? Ham D. from? can ham and from slow oh, i didn't I thought in Ke- later years keith low
1: did for years right
0: in later years yeah. ham was involved so i guess what i was mentioning is a bit of influence there subliminally who'd ever thought that the arcade fire were influenced by roots roundup subliminally there
1: roots roundup had a great song about every club in canada do you remember that song There was some song where like name checked name checked uh, you know the black sheep in wakefield and call the office in london and amigos in saskatoon and uh I forget the name. It's on their their compilation record, Roots Roundup. But Ford Pier was the keyboardist in Roots Roundup for many years. He quit Junior Gone Wild to join Roots Roundup. That's why Ford Pier moved to Vancouver. And Ford Pier will be part of the panel tomorrow afternoon at Red Cat Records.
0: And he also was in Junior Gone Wild, like everybody else probably for a little
1: while. Like pretty much everybody in Edmonton, he too was in Junior Gone Wild.
0: (laughs) Great connections between Canadians and Americans mm-hmm. and another one, Kathleen Edwards and Bon Ivor. How did that happen? Could you please explain, Michael Barclay? No idea, it's not in the book. But it's happening right now. Kathleen who is Kathleen Edwards and how did she meet Bon Ivor? Would you speculate?
1: Uh no, I would not. Kathleen <laughs> Edwards, a singer? Kathleen Edwards is a singer. Kathleen Edwards was uh, uh, mentored very early on by a man named Jim Bryson, who's a friend of mine, and Jim Bryson recorded a track for the tribute record called Heaven Up in the Same. Jim Bryson does a song by the Nils called Daylight.
0: The Nils are also... And where do they play in
1: your book? Because they're pretty heavy in there, aren't they're, they? They're a big part of the Montreal chapter. They were a band where, if anything could go wrong to a band, it happened to the Nils. They were they were really young when they started. They signed a really bad record deal to a, a label that mostly had hip-hop acts. Uh, you
0: were mentioning there was a new story that 10 years later you've updated the book?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, it was quite tragic. The singer and the main songwriter of the Nils, Alex Soria, uh, committed suicide in 2004, so three years after the original book came out. And I was living in Montreal at the time, and there was a, uh, an amazing memorial there uh, several months after his death and um, John Kastner of the Doughboys flew back from LA and, and put a little band together and Ian Blurton from Change of Heart was there and, and Jim Bryson and all these people playing old Nil songs it was really beautiful um, so my co-author Ian Jack uh, interviewed Alex's brother Carlos who was a bass player in the band for many years and the band also had a lot of drug troubles and, and alcohol troubles uh, quite really quite bad and quite tragic and um, so uh, it, it was a bit of a, it's a bit of a minefield walking into that and asking people about their very painful past, but um, but I think he did a really beautiful job in the book and it's one of my favorite parts of the book. I think it's really well told. Uh, it's sad that it's it's such a tragic story though.
0: The Nils though, did they ever get out and tour much in the states?
1: Um, yeah, they did. Uh, they, uh, oddly enough, they also opened for Men Without Hats. I was talking earlier about the weird connections between Men Without Hats and all sorts of bands you would never think associated with them, but Men Without Hats took the Nils out on tour and paid for their hotel rooms because their record label wouldn't.
0: Right now, we have something queued up here by Burning Hell. Yeah. Now, this is all tying together yeah. with what again Have not been the same.
1: There's a tribute record coming out sometime this fall, and uh, all the proceeds go to the Canadian uh, Addiction and Mental Health Research Association, and it's bands from today covering bands from the book. So Burning Hell, do a song by Men Without Hats called Pop Goes the World. <laughs>
0: on the Nardwar de Human Serviette radio show with Michael Barclay, author of Have Not Been the Same, The Can Rock Renaissance, 85 to...
1: 95.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Pop Goes the World by Men Without Hats, performed by The Burning House. See?
0: Still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the an Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. What did we just hear there, Michael Barkley, author of
1: Have Not Been the Same? Uh, we just heard a great song from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada's very own Art Bergman from his self-titled record, a song called uh, Bound for Vegas, a song that uh, Jeff Berner, also of Vancouver, has promised me that he will cover for the Have Not Been the Same tribute record.
0: Speaking of Have Not Been the Same
1: and the tribute record, what did we hear before Art Bergman? We heard the world premiere of uh, any music from this uh, upcoming record, we heard the Burning Hell from Peterborough, Ontario. Uh, now residing in St. John's, Newfoundland, a new version of the Burning Hell. Uh, Matthias Kahn moved to St. John's and put together a new band. And uh, they recorded Pop Goes the World by Men Without Hats.
0: And This is pretty exciting. There is a tribute record to your book yes. that's been reissued. Yep. Have not been the same. Have yep. not been the same. The Can Rock Renaissance, 85 to 1995. And tomorrow in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at Red Cat Records, which is 4332 Main Street in Vancouver at 4 p.m. You're going to be there with a whole bunch of people. What's going to happen exactly? You're going to be selling copies of the book.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll maybe just... Uh Take a couple of minutes to talk about why I wrote the book and just kind of what, what the book is about and some stories from it. And then um, I'll be interviewing my panel, which is uh, Ford Pierre of uh, DOA and Roots Roundup and Junior Gone Wild and uh, Reostatics, many other people, and Stephen Ham of Tank Hog and Slow. And uh, de- no, and, um, and Tom Harrison, who is a great Vancouver writer who worked for the Georgia Strait and the Vancouver province for many years. Where can people get the book?
0: Tomorrow they can get it at Red
1: Cat Records at 4pm. Yep. Yep.
0: Where else is it available in Vancouver and how can people contact you? Uh,
1: I'm hoping they can find it at finer bookstores everywhere. I'm not intimately familiar with the distribution, but I would hope that it's in uh, your favorite local bookstore. Uh, you could order it online, you could uh, order the ebook from iTunes. If you order the ebook from iTunes, there's also a link to like playlists that uh, w- w- my co-authors and I put together of people in the book. So if you're reading the book, if you buy the book because you really like Sloan and you like and you just say, "Hey, who's handsome Ned or uh, you know who is fifty four forty or who's no Means no then you can click, quick, click a quick link and uh, find music from those artists. So you can buy it
0: in many ways. When looking at this book, Have Not Been the Same, the Can Rock Renaissance 85 to 95, for years people have come up to you, I'm sure, and said, why no? Quote, you know, why no? Why no? Why aren't the leather uppers in here? Yes. How come the leather uppers aren't on in here? Because they like inspired Andrew W.K. to leather uppers from Toronto. Uh,
1: they were later in the 90s, were they not? What, what time span? I, I worked with one of the leather uppers, Craig Daniels at Exclaim Magazine.
0: About 94, maybe be something
1: like that yeah um there aren't there are very few bands in there if any who kind of started near the end of that period so the there are bands who started before there's some people from the late 70s and like we mentioned and tom or daniel Lenoir or like someone like the payolas uh bob rock has a really interesting history with vancouver punk and kind of major corporate megastars um so some of the s- stories start earlier than 85 but um
0: well one person that connects back to leather uppers is Lonnie James from a Nagahide 5.
1: Yes, and Lonnie Lonnie James played with uh, the Super Friends uh, very briefly, and later on he played with uh, friends of mine in a band called Royal City. Was he ever in the Nils, too? He was also in the Nils, you're right, and uh, he kind of got roped into that near the end. Like I said, they had a lot of uh, trouble over the years, and Lonnie James was called in near the end, and that didn't go so well.
0: And hopefully we're going to be able to jam in some Nils as well here, because you've brought in all these great tunes. Thank you so much, and I think I figured out the iPod, too, there, Michael. (laughs) Thank you, with the help of Helen and Leonard as well in Uh, the
1: background. Yes, have you have you have you ever owned an iPod? They've been out for ten years. No, I haven't okay. actually.
0: <laughs> Lonnie James though was in a Naga Five, and the Naga Hide Five connected to leather uppers because one of the leather uppers had a significant other in the Naga Five. Oh, so I had to mention the Naga Hide Five. Right the book have not been the same the revisions what sort of revisions have been done like i was honored to look through the discography and see that the nordword human serviette records company has like three entries in the front of the discography i don't think i saw that last time thank
1: you that's true i don't think i had those records back then i acquired those records sometime in the last 10 years and i love those i think those are great records and i feel like they were kind of picking up the torch of where the og records it came from canada was doing cuz uh, i think the first record you put out was primarily just vancouver artists wasn't it? And then after that you had the US versus Canada one and then there was another one where it's like international, you had like the Delgados on there from Scotland and stuff, correct? Yeah. So I, I, what I liked about those records was really its attempt to bring a bunch of different scenes together, and uh, as well as some old chestnuts from '60s Quebec bands. And uh, I thought those were really great records. What's new to the book this time? Does the discography is expanded? What exactly is new to the book? Um, some uh, newer information, like I said, the story of the Nils, where Alex Soria passed away. Or uh, there's a, there's a whole chapter basically about the rheostatics, So there's stuff about like how that band eventually broke up. Um, so we updated a lot of stories. Uh, we didn't uh, add, like, entirely new artists. There aren't, like, someone we left out of the first book entirely, and then we added them in here. But there is a band like, say, Shadowy Men on Shadowy Planet, who are always one of my favorite bands, and they didn't get much space in the first book. Just it was we couldn't really figure out a way to weave them through the narrative and the thesis. And, uh, so I had a great interview with Don Pyle of Shadowy Men, and he came to our Toronto Book Launch event. He was one of my panelists there. And he has one of his own books out now. He has a book called Trouble in the Camera Club on the same publisher, ECW Press. And that's kind of a photo memoir of his days in the Toronto punk scene in the late '70s, early '80s.
0: And again, another great tidbit to learn in your book: Shadowy Men sold 175,000 copies of their records. That's yeah. amazing.
1: I know. I know that's an amazing number today. Never mind back then. People talk about uh, you know great records for, or great sales numbers for independent records, and they did that all themselves uh, through uh, Cargo Records and their own label, Jetpack. And um, they were they were one of the bands uh, really burned when Cargo Records went out of business. I know a lot of small labels were kind of hurt when that happened and Shadowy Men were one of the artists who were affected the most by that Shadowy Men is another band whose material is not available right now and uh, Don Pyle assures me they're working on it and um, seeing as how they own all that stuff I I personally don't understand why it hasn't come out yet but I know that band is still very very beloved by a lot of people and all they have to do is is put it out even digitally and, and they'll sell another 175,000 records.
0: (laughs) And sales figures as well. Mm -hmm. Cub, 55,000 copies that they sold. The band Cub from Vancouver, the all-girl band from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Cub. A little detail in Have Not Been the Same.
1: They were in the first edition of the book because their story is really important and they were kind of one of the big bands from Vancouver in the the, uh, early 90s to kind of put Vancouver back on the map. And then, um, yeah, so I actually fact-checked some of those numbers with Mint because I was really curious. I was like, I knew they did really well and I knew it was kind of this runaway success but let's like, What was the actual number? So uh, Randy looked it up for me, and that's in the book. And Mint is one of the true
0: independent labels in Canada, isn't it? Like completely independent. For instance, let me turn to page 644 here of Have Not Been the Same. Ah, Oh, yes, page
1: 644.
0: Speaking to author Michael Barkley of Have Not Been the Same. And if we go down here, we look here closely on page 644, and it's talking about broken social scene. Uh, Before I get into this, what can you say about broken social scene?
1: I can say that when uh, my co-authors and I were writing the first edition of the book, we had a meeting at La Hacienda on Queen Street in Toronto, and sitting at the table next to us were Kevin Drew and Brendan Canning. Uh, I had known Brendan for many years. I'd never met Kevin before. But they they kind of were eavesdropping, and they're, what are these guys talking about? They looked over, and we had a folder called Can Rock 2000. And Kevin Drew was like, what is Can Rock 2000? And we told him what the book was, and he's like, oh, is is Head in your book? The band Head, uh, which Brendan Canning was in. I said, actually, no, I'm sorry they're not because we weren't really big fans of them but uh, so they were really intrigued so it was kind of a weird little meeting because Broken Social Scene in the, are, one of the, are one of the biggest bands of the last ten years uh, in terms of making great Canadian music and all the different offshoots um, and Kevin Drew is recording a Bob Wiseman song for the tribute record he's going to do a version of We Got Time
0: and Mint Records as yep. I mentioned so like 55,000 copies <laughs> yeah. of a Cub record yep. and what they did that was like all on their own but quoting from your book 644 precious few of them entrusted the major label system that ended up co-opting the gains of the Can Rock renaissance. In the case of a label like Broken Social Scenes, Arts and Crafts, they took pages directly from Network Records history and rewrote for a new decade and new generation. Mm -hmm. I would beg to argue there because they signed indirectly with a major label. Like Mint was 100% indie, Mm -hmm. whereas Arts and Crafts did something with EMI. So why are they considered Indie.
1: Uh, they run them they distribute through EMI the only thing EMI does is put, is put the records in stores but EMI still makes the guns and stuff that they sell to South Africa
0: and stuff like that to kill people like it's still part of a major label system I guess what I've always wondered is you know when they talk about the major labels there's like the pseudo indies mm-hmm. which are like arts and crafts but the true indies are labels like mint that are 100% free of mm-hmm. the corporate music industry how do you feel that the word indie
1: has sort of become not really what it really is indie like when yeah, I think it's rarely meant what it really is and and that patch that Passage compares arts and crafts to network, not to mint. So Network, but uh, the label, Network cut deals with every every label around. So that, Also EMI, I think their first distributor was But it's a
0: precious few of them entrusted the major label system to ended up co-opting the gains of the Can Rock Renaissance. Well, they did trust major label enough mm-hmm. to co-sign with them. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm just curious about yeah. is you go to a lot of these awards and stuff like this and mm-hmm. you see like best independent label mm-hmm. and all the labels that are nominated. Mm-hmm. They may be independent mm-hmm. but they're distributed by a major label. There aren't yeah. that many true independents left sure. still in the game. But one thing I learned... While Which I maybe I... is indirectly a plug for the upcoming Minter Records book on ECW, exactly, right? Exactly, which comes out this fall. Fresh at 20 by Caitlin Fontana. An oral history of mint records. In Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. And we still have here Michael Barkley from Have Not Been the Same, The Can Rock Renaissance. Michael again will be at Red Cat Records at 4 p.m. tomorrow on Main Street. That's 432 4332 Main Street in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, selling copies of Have Not Been the Same. I was curious, though, about the mysteries that you found out for this new edition. Was it a Martha and the Muffins mystery that you unraveled? It was this new edition, a Martha and the Muffins mystery about the Martha and the Muffins tapes?
1: We did, uh, yeah, we interviewed them this time because they have a, a lot of connections with Danny Lenoir, produced some great records for them in uh, in kind of the early 80s, Dance Park and, and, uh, and Mystery Walk. Uh, and you listen to those records now and I think they still sound great. I mean, a lot of music from that time has become really trendy again. A lot of people are doing a lot of very dancey, you know, early 80s things like LCD sound system and stuff like that. Then you listen to Martha and the Muffins who, you know, some people maybe think are a joke because it's a funny name or they they only know Echo Beach, which granted it is a great song um but you go listen to those records a song like dance park or a song like black stations white stations it's it's, it's really kind of similar to the talking heads and some really great guitar work and keyboard work some really great stuff on that records and uh, on those records um and uh yeah so they're part of the daniel and chapter there because daniel and made a lot of great canadian records before he made records for peter gabriel and u2 and bob dylan and everybody else
0: did you cut anything out from the book
1: um, yeah, we cut uh, mostly mostly a lot of snips. There are very few artists that are cut out entirely. There's there's um, a couple artists we we talk about much less than we did before. Who is that? Uh, I do, do you want me to say? Yeah, I was just curious. Uh, the Watchmen.
0: So they were in there, and now they're out.
1: Well, no, they're still in there. They're kind of tangentially in there, but uh, we none of us were particular fans of them. They kind of weaved into the, the tragically hip thing they shared with management. Then we thought, why are we writing about people just because they shared management? Like, it was a weird. And uh, we actually heard from them. One of the guys, who's a really nice guy, uh, and he said, uh, I'm just curious what happened. And I just, well, you know, we just, we rejigged some of the narrative, and, and uh, we just, Decided to cut that back a bit because we we wanted to cut some back so we could put more stuff in. So, for example, there's a lot more about the Nils because, like I said, we finished that story. So we had to trim other places like that. But um, the only band who's been really, really angry and they've been angry for ten years is the Tea Party, who were furious that they were not in this book when it came out and they thought it was a, full of ban- nobody bands like the Rheostatics and No Means No and everything else and. Uh, livid and brought it up in several interviews
0: that's great though that they want to be in it like that they valued being in it so much that's great
1: that i guess you're right i never thought of it that way but that is a bit flattering. like they
0: didn't go some punk ass book they actually wanted to be in there that's cool
1: i know and now now, that's flattery and now that they're they're doing so well in the u.s politically they decided to get back together and they've actually been playing reunion gigs coincidentally around the same time as the uh, 10th anniversary of this book
0: david wisdom yes did something get cut out of him in this book no, uh what? i remember earlier there was a quote about him and his co-host leora kornfeld working together and they were kind of described as being oil and water is that still in there
1: i think so yeah what
0: did that mean exactly i guess i was just curious
1: um i like them both a lot individually but uh david wisdom had his own show nightlines on cbc radio uh, a groundbreaking show really interesting show really quirky show um, and then uh, there's a time when CBC decided that people shouldn't have control of their own shows anymore. That the the DJs had too much power, and we should like tell them what to do. So we, they took him off the late night. Uh, slot, where he really did best, because his kind of taste and his kind of humor really worked late at night, and they put him in a prime time with Lior Kornfeld, who I know is a good, very good friend of yours, uh, and very knowledgeable woman, and she, th- I mean, they just have different styles. David Wisdom is very laid-back and very kind of dry, and Lior is very uh, animated and very, um, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, vivacious and kind of like, alright, here we are on the radio, and David Wisdom is more a guy who talks like this, and it just... It sounded weird on the radio. I never, I didn't think that they worked very well together, and that, uh, that partnership didn't last very long. But um, that chapter, there was a chapter about Brave New Waves and Nightlines and Campus Radio and Much Music started in 1984, and that really changed the way Canadians related to their music and, and saw it on television and heard it on the radio and had access to stuff that they didn't have before. Before, a lot of the underground music would be very regional. You would only ever hear about it. If they're a Calgary band, they would only hear about it in Calgary unless they had a major label deal, whereas this time uh those cbc shows like david wisdom show you could hear it all across the country and those bands would get mail from all across the country and they would say i heard you on nightlines i heard david wisdom play you so i rejigged that chapter a bit because i had to explain to younger people what those shows were i didn't assume that anybody knew what those shows were anymore and um you know there really was a carrier pigeon mentality back then where all these bands were kind of a secret and, and you were going to weird little club if you knew about them um So I rewrote that, and I also told the story about how Brave New Waves got cancelled and how that uh, was eventually um, uh, taken off the air, which is a story not a lot of people know because it's not a story that a lot of people at the CBC want people to know.
0: And this winding up here with Michael Barkley, author of Have Not Been the Same, the Can Rock Renaissance 85 to 95, who will be appearing tomorrow at Red Cat Records in Vancouver at 4332 Main Street at 4pm, going to have a panel discussion, and selling your book. Not that this is kind of like the celebrity roast for Daniel Lanois, but (laughs) do you have any Daniel Lanois? lost stories that aren't in the book. I have one. When I was down in Los Angeles playing with my rock and roll combo, we were a Canadian band playing in Los Angeles and we were playing up on stage. We did our gig to like the whole five people. I had a great time. Came off stage. It was at Spaceland yeah. in Silver Lake District of Los Angeles. Yeah. And then another band got up on stage They're Harold Ray. And they were a great band from San Francisco and Alternative Tentacles Records. And as they were playing, a guy wandered up and he kind of chucked $50 at Harold Ray. And then after the gig... Harold Ray came up to me and said, some guy just chucked 50 bucks at me and said, hey, it's for you because you're a Canadian band. You need support. Yeah. And we later found out it was Daniel Lenoir. He just <laughs> threw money. I guess he picked the wrong band. He are from San Francisco. It's the story of my life. Always, you know, yeah, o- yeah. on the wrong end of things. Yeah. Have you heard of stuff like that? Him just, like, throwing money? He literally threw money at us. <laughs> the wrong band, but...
1: That seems like a very uh, uh, West African thing to do, you know? Like Fela Kuti. Like, they always, like, throw money at the performers of, you know, during their eight-hour concerts. Um, no, uh, I, um I, I do think he funded a lot of his early recordings selling dope uh, with motorcycle gangs in Hamilton. That's uh, that's a rumor that we didn't feel substantiated enough to put in the book.
0: Although he did pull up to the club in a motorcycle, I remember that.
1: Well, he probably crashed it shortly after, you heard about that. He had a terrible motorcycle accident last year, broke a bunch of ribs, and uh, and then uh, finished his own record. And what was the other big record he put out last year? Was it a Dylan record? No. He had another big record his last year. His own record. His own record, the Black Dove, but there was... Um, I totally forget. He had another kind of superstar record he put out last year, but um, but yeah, I think he's I think he's a really important guy in Canadian music, and he's uh, I've heard stories about, especially in Hamilton where he's from. You always hear stories about him showing up in clubs and and uh, giving people uh, a break or a connection and and helping people out.
0: The interesting thing about Have not been the same is it identifies interesting points. Has a lot of interesting to do with Have not been the same in Canadian music history. For instance, Halifax, 1984, NSCAD. What was that all about?
1: Uh, are you talking about the Eric's Trip gig at the Nova Scotia School of Art and Design?
0: Uh, Sonic Youth in '84.
1: Oh, sorry, Sonic Youth. That's what I meant because I was thinking of that because Eric's, Eric's Trip time. is a Sonic Youth song. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know that either. That was in the first edition of the book. But um, yeah, Sonic Youth came to Halifax, and very few bands played Halifax. And all the all the musicians in Halifax talked about their favorite Canadian bands being No Means No and Change of Heart and the Gruesomes and the Gruesomes because they were the only people who bothered to come to Halifax because very few people would tour east of Montreal. be like. Everyone said, oh, I'm doing a Canadian tour. I'm playing Montreal to Winnipeg. And all the Easterners are like, that is not a Canadian tour because you are not coming to Winnipeg. Or sorry, to Oh, my God. Now I'm confused. You're not coming to Halifax. So um, uh, the fact that Sonic Youth came there was uh, a really big deal at the time. And then years later, a band from Moncton, who, uh, who everybody in, in uh, Halifax fell head over heels for, Eric's trip, took their name from a Sonic Youth song.
0: That's a point, and as well, jellyfish babies too. That's a really important point in the book that I didn't really know nothing about jellyfish babies.
1: Yeah, they were they were one of the first kind of so called alternative bands to put out a record in Halifax, um, and uh, and then they moved to they moved to Toronto for a while. They made a record with Michael Phil Voyevoda, Montreal, New York. They they made a bunch of connections around. They never really. Uh, they never really were terribly successful, but for people in Halifax, like the people in Sloan talk about how important it was to like. Yeah, see exactly. those guys. They were like rock stars walking down the street. It's like, oh my god, there's the guy from Jellyfish Baby. Yeah, because
0: I was talking to Chris Murphy of Sloan and I said, yeah. what do you remember about Mike? Do you remember him being the drummer in jail? He goes, well yeah, I remember him being in jail, but what I really remember him for is the jellyfish babies.
1: He was the second drummer. The first drummer left uh, she had got bronchitis on tour or something, and then uh, she also became pregnant and left the band. Um, but uh, also very rare at that time a female drummer in a rock band um, but uh, there are many women in Halifax uh, like Alison Outhead of Rebecca West and, and others who uh, were a big part of that scene
0: and the little tidbits on, in the book are really great have not been the same The Can Rock Renaissance for instance I was able to like, field test them when I interviewed Ian Mackay of Fugazi yes. I asked him if he remembered Chris
1: Murphy from the band Sloan knocking on his door in Washington D.C. yes when Chris was in a band called Spent at that time also in the band Spent was Gordon Krieger who worked at Brave New Waves for years
0: And he, like, knocked on the door of Ian MacKay's place. They just went down there. Spent did. And Ian remembered that. Like, he remembered guys from Halifax knocking on his doors years ago. And that little tidbit was in your book. So I loved that that was there. Some hardcore history
1: from the band Spent. And Chris Murphy said he he always wanted to conduct himself with fans the way that Ian did with him. That was a big thing, that Ian was so open and welcoming and and, uh, gave time to these nobodies from Halifax uh, to do that. Nardwari, do you remember the first time you and I met?
0: Yes. Ian MacKay was in the audience.
1: I took a picture of you and Ian MacKay.
0: Thank you very much, which I think I probably have up on Nardwar.com.
1: There you go. My only famous photo credit.
0: That was pretty amazing, though. What were you doing there? Were you speaking at that event?
1: Uh, I was living in Montreal at that time. I worked at Brave New Waves for three years, and I think you were speaking at Pop Montreal, and so was Ian. And uh, and I don't know, if you knew you definitely met him before, but you were reconnecting, and then you said, Michael, can you take our picture?
0: Yes, I'd yeah. interviewed him before and put on a gig in 1991 with him. Of course, I've L- heard about that gig. Looking to the future, just wondering what's going on with Habnappin. Is it an option for a movie or anything like this? You've got the new edition out?
1: Uh, there was a um, when the first edition came out, there was a guy who was interested in making a documentary, but I think he was the kind of guy who had like 20 projects on the go at once and was just s- throwing stuff against the wall seeing what sticked. No movie option right now, but um, my friend Nicholas Jennings, who wrote a great book called Before the Gold Rush about Canadian music, primarily Yorkville in Toronto, but he also talks about the Seekers in um, in Vancouver as well. Uh, he's been doing movies for the, the air on the CBC. Uh, he did a movie called uh, Rise Up about the 80s. He did a movie called The Beat Goes On about the 70s. Um, and and so he's making movies about the 90s and the 2000s. So some of the stuff in our book is, are in Nick Jennings' movies. Where can people get a hold of you, Michael? Uh, I have a blog called Radio Free Kanuckistan, and my email address is uh, on that blog. Uh, if you Google my name, it's the first thing. No,
0: Kanuckistan, could you spell that out? You mentioned that earlier, but how do you spell that out for people that are wondering?
1: Radio Free Kanuckistan. Well, Kanuck, you spell like the Vancouver hockey team, and I-S-T-A-N, and it comes from uh, a, a now-long-forgotten joke about some Fox News anchor calling Canada Soviet Kanuckistan regarding to our socialist country.
0: And it's dot and right now we're going to end with some Deja Voodoo on an Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show
1: we're going to hear a track called Too Cool to Live Too Smart to Die we are talking about the tribute record I'm putting out uh, with a whole bunch of people uh, on it uh, Mark Davis who used to play in a band called Old Reliable and put out a great record this year called Eliminate the Toxins uh, he did a cover of this with Laurie Matheson from Calgary uh, very different than the original but uh, you'll hear his version this fall Let, right now let's hear the original from Deja Voodoo
0: and thank you much for coming in Michael really appreciate it lastly lastly here did it hurt to write about the Parachute Club?
1: I like a couple of Parachute Club songs a lot.
0: A Feet of the Moon! (laughs) That's one of them. (laughs) Well, thanks much, Michael. Keep on rocking in the free world and do-do-da-loot-do. Do-do.
2: Too smart to die. Copy no blast. Go and gas. And still alive. I don't smash it up I know how drive. when I live, too smart to die.